and Merry Christmas to all if you celebrate it to Bad Movie Sunday. I'm Ashley. I'm Amy. We're a podcast that watches bad movies so you don't have to. We roast them. We toast them. And we're going to have a lot of fun. Today's episode, we're doing another Christmas movie. Christmas is uh, either fast approaching or just happened, depending on... I forget when we released this, but either way, uh, it's another festive episode coming for you. Um, but with a twist this time, it's not just any old Christmas movie. It's a Christmas heist? Kind of. I mean, when we read the summary of this movie, it sounds like a much different movie than it actually is. And we'll get into all of that. Yeah, we were, we were talking. IMDb uh, has been, like, goofing us lately. They keep posting clickbait titles that are just very... Mis- uh, for this one, you know, for this movie, we chose this. The summary just sounded so intriguing. We were like, oh, my God, a Christmas heist. Well, that was not entirely what the movie was about. But a <laughs> me a screenshot a couple days ago of a picture of Mark Ruffalo saying like the tragedy of Mark Ru-. and that we were like oh my god did he die um no it was just like talking about like his worst movies or something like oh, I'm GB you can't you can't just spring that on us sorry I just gotta cut in right now because I'm on the IMDB page And in the fucking around the web section, a.k.a. their clickbait section, it's just the funniest clickbait I've ever seen. Like, for instance, the one I'm looking at right now, the movie that accidentally killed half the people on set. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. What? A, what movie is that? And two, why haven't we heard of this absolute tragedy? Oh, um, you haven't heard of the movie that accidentally killed half the people on set? Well, neither have I, but you know who has IMDb's clickbait. Should I click it? Should I, should I find out? I'm oh, kind oh, of you afraid. Can't just leave us hanging. Of course you should click it. Okay, okay. Oh, well, ooh. <laughs> okay, well, I'm on this page that is, I don't even know how to describe, just like a collection of the most strange and entertaining articles I've ever seen. And let me just read you some of some of them because they're just (laughs) and a a large part of the inherent comedy in these articles is the pictures that they choose. But let me try to do it justice by just telling you some of the articles. Um, (laughs) Okay. Okay. The truth about Dacre Montgomery is out. (laughs) Like Okay, what's the truth? And then they don't tell you what the truth is. This is the cast of Home Alone today. I mean, usual clickbait stuff, but the picture they chose is, like, very menacing. Um, after all these years, these movies still make no sense. (laughs) I mean, aka every movie we've ever reviewed on this podcast. Celebrity deaths that sadly slipped right under your radar. And then it shows a picture of the... It shows a picture of the mom from Everybody Loves Raymond. Is she dead? I guess they're right. I guess it did slip under my radar. (laughs) Sorry. One more. One last one, I promise. This is maybe my favorite. Um, (laughs) 
Steven Seagal simply vanished from Hollywood. It's clear now why. I mean, <laughs> why you gotta put Steven on blast like that? What did Steven ever do to you? Let people just fade into the bed. Did he get sucked into a wormhole? Farscape style, just discovered one one day and never came back? It's clear now why. Um, but speaking of the IMDb, like, absolute clickbait, I have a summary here of this movie, in case you guys have not heard of Christmas Catch. The summary from IMDb says, A small-town policewoman falls for a suspected diamond thief at Christmas time. It, it's a little better on the Netflix summary where it says, A cop working undercover to trail a possible diamond thief gets caught in a tricky spot when she finds new clues and new feelings for the suspect. I like that one a little better. Either way, the summary sounds like a lot better than this movie mm, actually is. Yeah, that summary promised heists. It promised uh, diamond thievery. It promised, well... Much different things than we actually got. We'll get into the movie so you can tell exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, again, this is our toasting season, and it's the last uh, episode of our toasting season because we have a new theme for our next season, which is starting in January, that we will reveal at the end of this episode. But for right now, this is the last episode of our toasting season and we we kind of wanted to choose a movie that we going into it we thought we would have a lot of toasts for that we thought we were gonna like sometimes you know it doesn't uh doesn't happen that way and that's okay we'll just have to dig real deep and find some toasts anyway because i mean the last toasting season episode we gotta we gotta do the the season justice we gotta find some toasts and speaking of toasts if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that for every episode we have a specialty drink that you can make for yourself to make these movies a little bit more enjoyable and a drinking game to go along with that with points from the movie that we're talking about. So, Amy, what is the drink for today's episode? Oh, boy. Okay. There are a lot of good Christmas drinks out there. The one I chose today is the Moscow Reindeer, which is a, a variation of the Moscow Mule. Because there's this, there's a, a an important reindeer item in this movie that they, um, they really hyped up to be much bigger, literally and figuratively, than it actually was. But in any case, we got the Moscow Reindeer, and what you're going to need is a quarter of a cup mint leaves, juice of one small lime, one teaspoon of sugar, two ounces of vodka, two ounces of pomegranate juice, two to four ounces of ginger beer to taste. And then for your garnish, you're going to need mint leaves, a lime wedge, and pomegranate seeds. So what you do is you muddle the mint in a shaker with the lime and sugar, Add some vodka and pomegranate juice with a handful of ice and shake vigorously. Pour the drink into a copper mug, or whatever the fuck you want, uh, over ice. Add some cold ginger beer to taste, and then you garnish with your mint leaves, lime wedge, and pomegranate seeds. 
Yeah, no, I'm sorry. You want to pour it into a festive Christmas mug? That will not do for today, sir. You've got to become like a, a Indiana Jones archaeologist finding old relics in the jungles of Peru. A copper mug is the only thing that is acceptable for this drink. Yeah, it's like you're, <laughs> you're looking over a table of mugs and you have to try to figure out which one Jesus would have used. And that's the last clue <laughs> in order to, to finish your Indiana Jones-esque adventure. And you got to choose the copper one because he was a carpenter. Yes! <laughs> okay. We also have a drinking game to go along uh, with that drink. And we'll try, as always, to tell you when these things happen in the movie. But if you want to go see for yourself, you should probably pause the episode right now, go watch the movie, and then come back and hear our thoughts. Um, my first point, I'm pretty sure you have as well, is every time someone says serendipitous. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I have every time either they talk about how bad Mac, the main girl, is that flirting, or we actually see her flirting with someone. Okay, very good. My, similar to that, every time someone mentions one of her past boyfriends. Okay, I have every time she almost kisses someone, namely the main guy, but doesn't. Ah, uh, yeah, when someone interrupts them. Uh, I have every time someone criticizes Mac's outfit. Okay, I have every time Mac goes on a date. Okay, my last one is every time Mac says Carson, the main dude in this movie, doesn't seem like a criminal. Okay, uh, my last one is every time the cops do something that cops, like, very obviously should not be doing. And if you're thinking, Amy, I don't have, like, a profound knowledge of what cops, uh, what is allowed for them to do. Well, just think to yourself, does that seem kind of illegal? Because it probably is in this movie. Yeah, the, uh, the cops in this movie are, like, very nonchalant about everything. Yeah, I mean, for people who are supposed to be upholding the law, they sure damn do break it a lot, don't they? So, now we're going to be getting into the movie, breaking it down, scene by scene. If you don't want Spoilers, you can watch the movie yourself. It's on Netflix. I mean, there's not much to spoil for this movie. Um, but if you care about spoilers, you can go back, watch it yourself, um, and then come listen to our thoughts. Otherwise, we're going to get into it right now. So I didn't know much about this movie besides, you know, the Netflix summary before going in. This movie starts off, like, scene one with, like, twists and her Well, a single twist. There's, like, this girl, right, dressed up as an elf. She's our main character throughout the movie. She's, like, having a jolly time selling Christmas trees. You know, typical uh, Christmas rom-com starting scene stuff. Uh, getting into the Christmas spirit. But, the, but she opens her mouth, and the first line we learn is that actually she's an undercover cop trying to catch this one dude who is, like, chilling at the Christmas market, who's, like, trying to sell some drugs or something, I don't know, and they're waiting around for his buyer, I guess, to come around and, and, and get the, the goods. But the dude is getting angsty. Angsty? <laughs> he 
he's getting angsty. He's starting to put on some chains, a little bit of leather. He takes out some eyeliner. <laughs> he's getting antsy. And he's like, you know, my buyer's not coming around. I think I gotta leave. And this undercover cop girl um, is like talking to her cop buddies through her earpiece. And she's like, we gotta keep this dude around. He's gonna leave. We're gonna lose this dude. So her cop buddies are like, hmm, what can we do to get this dude to stay around a little longer? You should flirt with him. And she is like, oh, no, no, I don't think you want to see that sight. And they're like, no, like, come on, it'll be fine. Just, like, flirt with him a little, get him to stick around, and then when his buyer comes, we'll we'll make the move. We'll bust him. So she... I mean, you already know one of the points in our drinking game was every time she tries, keyword, to flirt, this girl is... (laughs) How would you describe? She has... The most awkward and not very sneaky at all technique, which is to do a sexy walk over to him, which looks like, mm, I don't really know how to describe, but let me just say it was not sexy. And then her partner is trying to like coach her through her earpiece. And he's like, just like lick your lips a little. And her tongue just like flies out of her mouth. She's like putting on lipstick like Miranda sings with her tongue. That's like the the motion that's happening. And the dude that she's talking to is like, um, are you good? Are you okay? And she's like, um, yeah, whatever, whatever. And and she blows her cover almost immediately. Like the sen- the second sentence uh, she says to him is like, I'm only something something years old, which is only two years younger than you. And he's like, how the fuck you know my age and also my name? And she's like, oopsie, I'm a cop. So already off to a bad start in terms of the police department in this movie. Uh, so then... He's like, oh my god, you're a cop. And he starts running. And she starts chasing him. But, like, what is she going to arrest him for? Because he literally didn't do anything illegal yet. And you might be thinking, Amy, does that count towards the drinking game? Absolutely. Because she starts chasing him for no reason down the street. And then she gets him. And she tackles him. And she breaks his arm. I would say that's, like, a two for one, right? If you If you drink every time... The cops are like very sketchy and suspicious in this movie. You're gonna you're gonna be dead by the end of it. So let's just count that as one. So they break his arm and arrest him, and like literally no one gets in trouble or even mentions it ever again. Yeah, and you want to know why no one really gets in trouble is because her mother is the captain of police. So, uh, mom and daughter tag team, uh, the mom just kind of skips over the fact that she arrested someone that did literally nothing. He was just waiting in a Christmas market <laughs> and, uh, broke his arm for no reason. And she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you broke this dude's arm. Eh. But, so, like, how's your dating life? <laughs> and just, like, nagging her on the fact that she's like bad at flirting and has doesn't have a man they they broke this dude's arm for legit no reason and they're like making a joke out of it i'm like how's the dude doing though so because uh max mom is like nagging her all the time about uh how she doesn't have a man and she like can't get one for herself she like convinces 
Mac to go to a singles night that her friend is hosting at his cafe. And she goes there. Her mom is like, her mom is like so rude to her. She's like, you're not wearing that, are you? And we have to have this whole like montage of her like switching outfits or whatever. She shows up, doesn't really find anyone. Uh, she's not really feeling it. So she leaves the singles night and just goes to the police station, which is like right next door where she works. Just, just sort of like, you know, take some time, think, talk to her friend on the phone. She's like, yeah, this isn't really for me. I don't think I'm going to find anyone. And, like, right as she's talking about it, she's not going to find anyone, we get this little meet-cute of her and this, like, random hot dude that was hanging out in in an abandoned police station for some reason. She's, like, trying to adjust this star on their Christmas tree, and she's, like, too short to reach the star. So she falls over, and this dude catches her, and their eyes meet, and they see sparks and fireworks, and he's like, I've never seen a woman so beautiful. And she's like, oh, stop. And we just get this, like, very... mm, The meet-cute moves very fast, you know? It was not very natural how quickly they were, like, in love with each other. Because he got her falling off a tree. <laughs> yeah, I have just, you know, five or six things to say about this scene. But <laughs> about the uh, the singles mixer scene, right? The only thing I want to say about that, the food at the party looked amazing. The music, entirely cowbells. How are you going to find love when the only music playing is cowbells? That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Is this a party hosted by Christopher Walken? It it must have been, because it was, I mean, I don't think you could have had more cowbell, because it was all cowbell. (laughs) And then when she goes to, like, this abandoned, I don't think it was the police station, because the the main dude, her love interest, who looks like a C-list Darren Chris. A tall, seedless Darren Chris. Oh my God, <laughs> she breaks into this like empty office building to take a phone call, and this dude, seedless Darren Chris, is also in this empty office building. And by the end of the movie, it's not very important, but we don't really know why he was in there. It just seemed like an office building with no one in it, and we don't know why he was in there. And also, we don't even know what his job is. He's, um, like a suspect, which we learn in the next scene for the case that's about to be handed to her. But, like, we don't, other than, like, what's on his case file, which is supposedly, allegedly, that he's a diamond thief, we don't know, like, literally anything about this dude. Yeah, I mean, my biggest gripe with him was why was he hanging out in this abandoned building, uh, waiting for damsels in distress to catch, but, um... You know, that's an, that, that, that's an issue for him to figure out for himself, I think. So, yeah, like Amy was saying, the next day... Oh, okay, we uh, we got to talk about this one thing. Uh, the next day, she's, like, lying in bed when she wakes up. She's still thinking about this mystery dude that caught her falling off this tree. Keep in mind, and this is the very next scene. Like, uh, like not skipping anything. This is the next scene. Is she's lying in bed thinking about this mystery dude... And we get a flashback 
an audio flashback of the last scene. There's like this stupid thing that the main character girl is like obsessed with the word serendipitous for some reason. She like, when mystery Darren Chris catches her off this tree, he's like, wow, that was serendipitous. And she's like, what did you just say to me? I love that word. And the next scene, she's lying in bed and we get an audio flashback of those exact lines. Which, like, we know that, A, that that's what she's thinking about because she's got this little wistful smile on her face. And also we know that that's what they said because it's been 20 seconds since they just said it. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you something that I learned from this? This is my fourth year in film school. And this is probably, like, the only important thing that I've learned. And what it is is approximately every 28 minutes in a movie. The 28 around uh, minute mark is when the audience starts to get out of it a little. So approximately every half hour, you have to include a scene that is just, you know, 10 seconds of someone uh, walking down a hallway or like a montage, something that you don't really have to think about a lot so that the audience can kind of recalibrate and then kind of get out of the moment and then come back into the moment, but they're not missing anything. Um, the first hour and a half of this movie is made up entirely of those moments. Nothing happens, and the things that do happen happen, like, a lot. <laughs> like you just said, like, there's a flashback of something that happened 20 seconds. We know, bitch! We were there! <laughs> Yeah, very good point. My notes for this movie are like five points long because nothing. <laughs> wow. I mean, we'll come up with some toasts eventually to see for this movie. But yeah, as Amy was saying a little while, oh, to remind y'all, I don't remember if you, I don't know if you guys remember that Amy said this because it happened like 30 seconds ago. So uh, now we're going to have to do a little flashback. Well, Amy, can I get some flashback music? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a bit of like a a dying owl, <laughs> kind of like a ghost or something. Kind of like a ghost owl. Um, but you know what? I'll take what I can get. So yeah, Amy, you mentioned that the mystery dude that she runs into is a criminal, or so they think. So this is where we find that out. She goes into her office and. There's a new player around the office. There's this FBI girl that wants the, her, like, cop team <laughs> to investigate uh, because they think that he is a diamond thief and he's connected to this, like, one heist that went down a couple years ago where they stole this, like, diamond-encrusted reindeer. <laughs> Uh, and she is very conflicted because she's like, I got to do my job. But also, I'm in love with this dude now after um, 20 seconds with him. There's a lot. There's a lot in this scene. Um, first of all, the FBI lady. First of all, the FBI. Let's just start there. I mean, the FBI is in the name Federal Bureau of Investigation. Um, is thievery a federal crime? I don't think so. So it's kind of a bit much to get the FBI involved in, like, the stealing of a diamond-encrusted reindeer that isn't 
even like stolen from a uh, a museum or anything. It's stolen just from like a jewelry store. Um. Also, she says that it's worth three million dollars. Three million dollars for something that nobody in the world has asked for a diamond encrusted reindeer. Okay, because this movie puts so much emphasis on trying to catch this dude for for stealing this uh, diamond, allegedly stealing this uh, diamond encrusted reindeer. And the whole thing is like they're trying to they're trying to find out if he did it, trying to get it back if they can. What do you think of, dear listeners, uh, when you think of a diamond encrusted ring? I was thinking of like crown jewels, sort of like a big sort of like uh, maybe two the size of a fist or two fists of like a, a, a beautiful diamond reindeer sculpture with like, you know, it's twinkling and, and magical and whatever. We we end up seeing the reindeer at the end of the movie and it is maybe the length of maybe smaller than a pinky finger it looks like a like a tacky grandma like lapel pin (laughs) three like for three million dollars i thought it was going to be the size of at least a toaster it had to have some some weight some girth to it but it's like this fucking like a little hairpin or some shit like i don't even who cares why does the fbi care like the fbi don't you have terrorists to deal with why do you care about this fucking diamond encrusted reindeer hairpin even a line in this movie is she's like yeah we're the fbi we're like a lot more important than you lowly cops we're trying to deal with you know uh terrorism and stuff and then she's like but also how about this jewelry store heist (laughs) regardless they gotta catch this dude and because he you know he already met mac in that scene uh about a minute and a half ago (laughs) He ends up calling her later to ask her out because he really likes her. And upon the request of the FBI, Max says yes, um, because they think that it would help them more easily catch him if they have someone like close to him, which makes sense. But also both the cops and the FBI are like very pushy about this i don't know why there's some like arbitrary time limit on this investigation but like they're like yeah you got to go out with this dude so then we can have someone close to him maybe you can find out some information on if he has the reindeer if he's gonna pull a heist again whatever but they're like very in her face about this whole thing they're like you got to go on a date today there's no time there's no time it's date time (laughs) It's not like he he's like, oh, I'm going to leave town in two days or whatever. He's just like, yeah, I live here now. So, I mean, at your leisure, whatever. Also, like in the scene where they first introduce him as a suspect and talk about all of his alleged crimes and the FBI girl shows up, they give Mac this case file and she's looking through it and she sees a picture of him and she's like, oh. And everyone's like, what? And she's like, nothing. Which, like, if she doesn't say anything, I mean, that's suspicious, right? 
Because otherwise the whole damn FBI is going to think they're in cahoots or something. Because she already met him. And she didn't say that. And also it's a conflict of interest that she's on the case. And also, sorry, I just have to add, the whole movie. This doesn't make sense. The whole movie. Her captain, a.k.a. her mom. And also her, her partner is a cop. Both know that she's like fully in love with this dude. And they're still like, oh yeah. You can be on the case. We don't give a fuck. It's a conflict of interest, is it not? I mean, take like 10 drinks for this. I don't have, I mean, I don't have the the brain cells, the patience to even try to understand why they would keep her on the case. Also, Mac, I, I get that her mom, right, is the chief of police. Um, so uh, obviously... I mean, I'm assuming some strings were pulled to, to get her that job. But also, like, Mac is, like, I mean, A, a bad cop, but also, like, a rude person. <laughs> like, when the FBI lady first shows up, she's, like, I, I think they're trying to play her up as being this, like, evil the FBI are coming to, to make us do shit. But, like, it's her job, son like she's like hey this is the the case that we want you to work on here's the information do it and like she's very direct about it but like i don't know max like coming for her every time they speak she's like i don't like why do we have to catch him and you don't know everything you're not my mom my mom (laughs) but like how does she keep her job when she keeps talking back to all these figures of authority. I mean, we could just go over the the things that, I mean, should have gotten a normal person fired, if not for the fact that her mom is the captain and also she's a cop. Broke someone's arm. Like, imagine you're working at Best Buy, right? And you had a rude customer and you just like snap and break their arm. You would be fired and also sent to jail. Um, <laughs> she arrested that dude for literally absolutely no reason. Um, that's another strike against her. She's just like the, I don't know why they keep putting her on these undercover missions. Cause she's just the most suspicious person and police officer ever in the known history of the universe. Yeah, and she, like, she, like, fully admits it, too. She's like, yeah, I am in love with this suspect we are supposed to be catching. Uh, I just, oh, God, it was even a part of the, the drinking game. She's like, does he really seem like a criminal? And I'm like, what? What does a criminal seem like to you? Do you gotta have tattoos? Do you gotta be, like, 6'8", <laughs> bald? Like, I don't <laughs> think there's a, I don't think there's a, a, a specific... I mean, anyone can get into the life of crime. Not like, oh, you would know about that. Yeah, has she, like, never heard of Ted Bundy? Everyone's like, he is so charming. Like, yeah, criminals can be, I mean, especially criminals that are thieves. They gotta have some kind of, you know, some kind of charm about them to, like, sneak their way into places and, like, get what they're looking for. You know, like, what? She's a cop. She deals with criminals every day. It's unfortunate that this movie takes place on her, like, apparently second day of work, according to <laughs> according to the way she's acting. 
You know what? For her whole, I mean, she is obviously very not good at criminal profiling, I guess. But because, like, tell me if I'm wrong. Um, because I do have a bit of a reputation around here for mixing up actors. But the guy at the beginning and the dude she's trying to catch now look like very similar. And she had no problem breaking that first guy's arm. She wasn't like, no, he doesn't seem like a criminal. We should let him go. She was like, snap. <laughs> Yeah, dude, they look almost exactly the same, except he was, like, her height, and Darren Chris dude is, like, eight feet tall. But other than that, they look pretty much like the same dude. He just had to get one of those leg lengthening surgeries from Gattaca, and he's, like, exactly the same. (laughs) So, regardless, she decides to go on a date with this dude at the request of the FBI. Which, oh my god, he has such a conflict of interest. And we, of course, because this is a rom-com in addition to a cop drama, we we have to have a montage of her choosing outfits, getting ready for her date. Love that. (laughs) And uh, when she's getting ready for her first date with Zuzu, she also, like, breaks into his house to install cameras and stuff, which... They broke into his house by pretending to be, like, uh, repairmen or whatever. They got, like, those those blue jumpers on. But, like, do you not have any other people working in this police precinct that you could send over to pretend to be? Because they, they're like, oh, yeah, it's fine to break into this dude's house right now. He's, like, at work. But, like, what if he wasn't? What if they were wrong to see the girl that he just asked out on a date? breaking into his house dressed up as a repairman she is breaking her cover already and it is day one (laughs) yeah and like also she's not a good cop we've already established this what on earth makes them think she would be a good like tech guru that could install all of these cameras all over his house that do not seem like they would be easy to install because at the end with no spoilers but uh yet but at the end when they're taking the cameras down they have like a team of like three other people so like why would they send these two morons to go and rig his house up with cameras and and bugs and stuff when she's like the worst cop ever She's also just, like, as we mentioned, not the greatest person. She, like, because she spent so long changing outfits, like, 150 times, she's, like, half an hour late for this coffee date with this dude. And because she was, like, installing cameras in his house, and he's just, like, waiting at this restaurant, being, like, he's got to do that, like, awkward thing where you, like, the waiter comes over and he's, like, hey, can you get you anything? And you're, like, no, sorry, I'm waiting for someone. Ah! She kept him waiting, No, and then she goes to, like, the, the FBI truck to, like, talk to her partner. For, they're, like, having, like, a casual chat. She's like, how do I look? I'm like, you have kept, I don't care if he's a criminal, you have kept him waiting on this date for, like, half an hour. Go sit down. <laughs> yeah, that's just rude at that point. Honestly, if he was, like, a normal dude, he would have left by now. Like, he would have just been like, I guess she's not coming. And he would have just headed home. So this date that she goes on with this dude starts off, I mean, so 
horribly awkward at first. She's just like trying to get information on him. She sits down first thing and she's like, hey, how you doing? My name's Mac. So like, uh, why did your ex-wife leave you? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely no tact at all. They're just saying things into her earpiece like, hey, when the time comes, like, maybe ask about his ex-wife, but no pressure. And she's like, hey, um, I love the breadsticks here. Also, how did your ex-wife leave you and (laughs) why are you divorced? Uh, I want a full explanation. I want an intro and conclusion. (laughs) This girl has no subtlety. Thank God the dude is, like, not turned off by it at all. He's just like, Oh, weird question, but okay. And he's like fully into it. And by the end of the date, it's like ends up going really well. And he asks her on a second date. I don't understand how this happened when the first thing out of her mouth was, why are people uh, leaving you? I feel like the ex conversation is not a good thing to have on the first date. And then the next date that she goes on, also doesn't turn out mm, very well. Also, I just gotta add, so people can take another drink, is that between the two dates, she has this friend that works at a, a coffee shop, right? And she's just talking about the open case that she's currently involved with um, to her friend who's not even a cop and works in a coffee shop. I think that's highly discouraged. There's a surprising amount of illegal stuff going on in this uh, this movie, and it is not from the criminal. <laughs> alleged. Alleged criminal. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this, this second date, um, she goes to her friend's coffee shop that she works at, and she meets up with the student. Um, yeah, she's talking about this case openly with, like, other people around to this dude uh, that owns this coffee shop. The date shows up. And now the friend is asked is acting super sus because he knows that this dude might be a diamond thief. So I don't know if it's just because he was all super frazzled <laughs> at meeting a criminal, but the dude, right, uh, Carson, by the way, his name is Carson, the alleged criminal. He sits down at this cop shop. The friend is like, hey, what, like, what do you want? And he's like, oh, just, like, a black coffee. And this this bitch owns the coffee shop. Like, he <laughs> is in charge. He, it is his business that he has built from the ground up. He comes back with this fancy-ass, like, uh, Oreo peppermint mochaccino, or whatever, which looked delicious, but was straight up not what that dude asked for. <laughs> Imagine going to Tim Hortons and being like, <laughs> Hey, uh, can I have, like, a, a pumpkin spice latte with a, a pump of caramel on top? And they're like, sick, got you. Um, actually, I think you're more of a uh, hot chocolate girl. And you're like, okay, well, like, that's not what I paid for. <laughs> yeah, if I wanted a psychic reading, I would take a BuzzFeed quiz on what drink I would get. But this is like, I, I order, and then you give me what I ordered, and I pay for the thing that I ordered, which is a black coffee, which would probably be like a dollar. Um, instead, you give me this $5 monstrosity that I guess I will have to pay for now? 
God, imagine if restaurants acted like that. They're just like, you show up at, at, at a, a table and you're like, mm, you know what? I'm not really feeling that hungry today. I think I'm just going to have like a, a ham sandwich. And they're like, mm, but for $20 more, you could get the uh, pasta platter. <laughs> and you're like, no, I mean, like, it's just a light lunch. And the guy is like, well, I mean, it's $20 more, so... I delivered it. You're going to have to eat it. <laughs> yeah, they're like, would you like the lobster bisque? And you're like, mm, I'm allergic to seafood. And they're like, I don't get that vibe from you. So I'm going to go ahead and get you that lobster. And I guess you're going to die and pay for it, but not in that order. <laughs> also, this date ends up going differently. Than the- well, okay. On this second date, too, she, God, this girl is, like, insufferably awkward. Um, And Amy, you and I are, you know, not the most suave people ourselves, but, I mean, this was almost painful to watch. She asks about his ex, like, three more times in this conversation. Her first date, the first words out of her mouth were, hey, why did your wife leave you? Second date. Literally, the only thing they talk about this whole time is, hey, why did your wife leave you? Like, can someone explain why this dude is into her? Yeah, she comes off as a complete psychopath. If you had to, like, give me a profile on on the both of them, I would for sure pick her out as the criminal out of the two of them. But, like, she's also talking to him and her friend, the barista, who made that... I mean, not even the dude's order, just a random order for him. He's talking to them, right? The barista dude. And he mentions offhandedly. He knows she's undercover. But he mentions offhandedly, like, oh, yeah, Mac learned how to do so-and-so when she was in the academy. And then uh, Carson, the alleged criminal, is like, the academy. And, I mean, there are a lot of things that you could cover up that with um they chose yeah oh yeah she was in space academy oh yeah she was gonna be like a fucking uh an astronaut and she was in uh space academy and then he he just was like oh okay are you an astronaut and she's like no and he's like oh okay cool and they never talk about that again they didn't even like they were talking about martial arts right because he was like yeah we used to do like self-defense together or whatever we learned it at the academy you couldn't have said like oh our karate academy or whatever that would make no just straight to nasa i guess that's (laughs) fine this dude just puts up with so much from her but well i mean i guess she she puts up with stuff from him because in the middle of their date this random dude shows up looking for carson Um, don't know how he finds them because they were sitting way at the back of this coffee shop and this dude just like happens to see them passing through the the window. That's fine. So he runs into Carson and he's like, hey, friend, wink, I got a job for you. Wink. Clearly trying to get him (laughs) back into the diamond heist gig. Um, And he turns him down. He's like, no, man, that's that's not me anymore. I'm out. If I was Mac, right, and I didn't, and I wasn't a cop, if Mac wasn't a cop, 
right? And didn't know that this dude was allegedly a diamond thief. And she was on a date with him knowing nothing about him except second date stuff. And this dude walks in and, and talks to him the way that he does. Like, hey, remember that thing we used to do together? I think we should do it again together again. I would think they hooked up before. And that he was, like, coming on to him right in the middle of the date. Because that's, like, really what it sounded like. Of all the ways he could have approached him. Also, this dude, like, it has no impact on the story. I just got to mention, he is, like, a jacked nerd. He has the nerdiest glasses, but also he's kind of jacked. And, <laughs> and he just comes in and he's like, hey, remember me? Because I should remember you. And I, <laughs> I want to get back into our old... Our old gig, if you know what I mean. That sounds like definitely like a come on. Absolutely. It sounds like uh, he might be his old pimp or something. <laughs> the girlfriend is just like sitting at the table like, hey, so I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. And then anyways, so the dude, Carson's like, no, I don't want to wink get back into what we were doing before the thing I shall not mention that I will leave up to your imagination, Mac. I will not do that with you again, kind sir. And the dude's like, okay, I guess I will go. And it's just the most awkward scene. And then he goes and then um, Carson's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't think, it's kind of like he's talking about an ex or something. He's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know this dude would would be here uh, anyways. Let me make it up to you. Another date. I don't even know why. I don't even know why they would go on another date. I mean, both of them are just so... I mean, they both got a lot of problems, don't they? Yeah, they're both, like, clearly hiding things. Also, this third date um, is at his house, and it happens, like, on the third day. Like, because this... The FBI lady is, like, trying to push this agenda up so fast. She's like, he asked you on a third date? You're going today. I don't know about you, but I, I, three days through, I need, like, at least a day in between seeing people to, like, recharge my social levels. Three dates in three days, too much. But Mac is, like kind of uh, outgoing, I guess, because she does not mind it at all. Also, um, I just got to mention this, but the morning, I think it's the morning of their third date where they're supposed to have dinner together at his house. So the cops have rented out the house across from his house and they put the, the cameras in and they're like basically spying on him 24-7. Mac is just like watching him shirtless just going about his day in his own house, not knowing that he's being watched. Kind of creepy. Kind of very morally bad and creepy. Yeah, they keep making jokes throughout this whole movie, like, haha, I'm a stalker. But, like, she is. Yeah, like, legitimately? That's stalker. That's stalker stuff. That's completely unnecessary to the case. And she's like, mm, I'm fully in love with him and I want to lick his abs. And the cop partner dude is listening to this and he's like, 
Okay, cool. Um, I guess we'll keep you on the case, even though this is fully a conflict of interest. Oh my god, which girl we see in the very next scene? We are on the third date now, uh, which is at the dude's house. He finally opens up to her about his past, because she keeps asking on every date about how he broke up with his ex-wife. So he's finally like, oh my god, okay, whatever. (laughs) He opens up about how, I don't know, honestly, it doesn't matter, some sort of criminal stuff he used to do as a kid, and then he he didn't want that life anymore, so he got out of it. But his ex-wife was, like, super into the criminal life, and she kept trying to get him into jobs, I think, but he, like, didn't want that anymore. So she was the one that stole the diamond-encrusted reindeer and then, like, ran off with it, and he never saw it again uh, and and left him in the process. And that is his story. Yeah, that's what she had to go on three dates to get out of him. He doesn't even have the reindeer that she was trying to hunt down, and she's like, okay, cool, I guess. Anyway, so he gets a phone call at dinner, and he's like, oh, I gotta take this. She's like, okay... And he goes into another room. The The captain and her cop partner dude are talking to her through her earpiece. And they're like, you got to go and figure out what he's saying because we can't get through uh, to the phone. So she's like trying to sneak to wherever he is. And she's just like halfway across his living room, which has two Christmas trees for no reason. And she, just as she gets there, he's like, okay, my phone call's done now. And she's like, okay, cool. She's like, who was that? He was like, my ex-wife that we were just talking about five seconds ago. And she's like, oh, really? What did she want? And he says, oh, you know, just to tell me, you know, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. My girlfriend's a cop. And she's like, whoa, wait a second. I'm not a cop. And he's like, don't lie to me. And she's like, okay, I guess I am a cop. Yeah, it came very, very quickly. And here's where the conflict of the interest comes in. She, like, just fully admits that, you know that uh, little myth <laughs> that uh, everyone heard when they were in, like, uh, high school? When uh, people were like, if you're a cop, you gotta tell me. Like, you gotta tell me if you're a cop. That's the rules. so she admits that she's a cop to Carson he like is mad at her for like lying the whole time and trying to manipulate him because he just just talked about how oh after my ex-wife like I didn't think I could trust anyone again and I'm finally starting to trust people with you and she's like hmm is that so (laughs) so he's like feels super betrayed by her. He breaks up with her. He's like, get out of my house. And because she revealed herself as a cop, the FBI lady fires her or puts her on administrative leave, which is essentially firing her, even though, like, she did that in the opening scene as well, right? Like, she revealed to that dude that she (laughs) broke his arm that she was a cop, but she didn't get reprimanded for that. Yeah, it's fine. We love uh, continuity. Yeah, I mean, in the first scene, not only does she blow her cover again, she also breaks the guy's arm, and she doesn't get leave for that. 
But she does get leave. Ooh, boo-hoo, we couldn't catch the diamond thief. Yeah, son, she broke this dude's arm. Are you not going to do anything about that? Because that's kind of like a criminal offense in itself. That is straight up assault, my dude. You're not going to do anything about that? You're not going to fire her for breaking a man's arm? But you are going to fire her because you can't get your little diamond brooch? Who gives a fuck, my dude? <laughs> Honestly... This is does not make any sense. And then she's like, oh, I guess I'm on paid leave, boo-hoo. Boo-hoo, I, I, I did all these nasty things as a cop, and now I'm on paid leave, boo-hoo for me. First of all, I don't care, girl. <laughs> Second of all, it's not like she even lost her job. She still has her stupid little job that she's not even good at. So then she's like still for some reason in the house across the street from Carson's house don't know why, because she's not on the case anymore, but she's looking out the window. Yeah, because they, we, we, we haven't mentioned that they, the FBI, like, bought a house or something. I don't know, the safe house or something. I don't know how the whole FBI system works, but they have a house across the street from where Carson lives, where they have been spying on him this whole time. Yeah, so for some reason, even though she's not on the case anymore, she's in that house across the street from him. Just, you know, typical stalker behavior. So she's looking out the window. As she's looking out the window, she's on the phone with her partner, her detective partner, who is a cop. And she's looking out the window and she sees the jacked nerdy guy lurking around outside of Carson's house. And instead of telling... Her partner, who's a cop, who's also on the phone with her at this very moment, that there's a Jack Nerdy dude that she recognizes from earlier lurking outside of his house. She's just like, okay, I'll talk to you later, bye. And she hangs up on him. And she goes and investigates herself. And by the time she gets downstairs and goes outside to where the Jack Nerdy dude was before, he's gone. So she goes to Carson's house and she looks through the window. And through the window she sees a dead body. And at this point, does she call for backup? Her cop friend, who was already on the phone with her? No, she does not call for backup. Because she goes into the house herself. And she, go and she goes up to him and she, like, checks his pulse. And she thinks he's dead. And then the jacked nerdy guy reveals himself to her. And he's like, hey, it's me, the jacked nerdy guy from before. And then she starts, like, making jokes. Like, she starts cracking jokes even though she thinks he's dead. Yeah, this whole scene was a roller coaster. She thinks that her her boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, Mark, <laughs> who knows what he is to her at this point, um, is, like, dead on the ground. And she's like, eh, like, where have I seen you before? <laughs> to this dude that she thinks is a murderer. <laughs> so uh, she's like, I, I'm going to catch you. Like, uh, you, you've been made. You've been caught. The guy's like, you can't take me down. And she's like, yeah, I can. Because coming through the back door is the FBI lady. We're going to tag team it. Take you down together. But twist of all twists. The FBI lady is the ex-wife. I mean, M. Night Shyamalan could not have seen this coming. It's her. And the, the Carson, the uh, alleged diamond thief, is not actually dead. 
because he's like wriggling around on the ground and he's like it's her it's my ex-wife and then they're like oh i guess it's his ex-wife so then uh she's like jokes on you i'm not really fbi which now some of it begins to make sense because why would the fbi care about this case they wouldn't she's like i forged those documents saying that i was the fbi and i tricked your stupid little easy to trick police department and i just got myself a a job there so i could get you to find out where the diamond is which doesn't make any sense okay uh, let's break this down because i did not understand the reasoning the logic behind this so the ex-wife says that she took the diamond-encrusted reindeer and she hid it in Carson's house so she could come back and get it later. But Carson moved in the meantime. So she went to his old house. He wasn't there. She had to come to his new house. So she came to his new house. And instead of just, like, going and stealing the diamond, she pretended to be an FBI agent so that the police could go and figure out where the diamond-encrusted reindeer was for her, even though she already knew where it was because she put it there? What does that mean? What sense does that make? I feel like I feel like the meme of that lady with all those math problems got swirling around her head because I had to pause this movie for about 15 minutes to try to figure out what this lady's plan was. She stole the diamonds in the first place. She planted the diamonds with this with Carson's stuff. She knows exactly where it is. And she came up with this whole convoluted plan to involve the police. If you are a criminal, right? You have a stash of your diamonds, illegal goods, whatever. You know where it is. You know exactly where it is. Instead of just going to retrieve it yourself i mean we have established there is a pattern of days where carson is like just not at home he's at work we we don't know what the the work is we never really find that out we actually don't know that much about this dude at all um she couldn't have like broken into his house any time throughout the course of this movie to take the little reindeer hairpin back she involved the police who, like, she should be hiding from. Yeah, I mean, as a criminal, like, your first instinct, usually, isn't, mm, I think I'll go to the police, who are trying to get me, because I've done a crime that is no good. Um, That's usually not, like, the first course of action you should take if you're a criminal, especially, like, a criminal who is a thief, who is trained and as has been practiced in the art of thieving, you can't thieve this fucking reindeer hairpin from your ex-husband's house. Everyone in this movie is an idiot. We know that. Why does she think she's going to get this idiotic police department to help her? They're like the stupidest people. But also, like, what, what was her plan here if the girlfriend got the diamond encrusted if she somehow figured out where it was in this dude's house happened to get it like that would go into evidence and she would never see it again what was the point in this whole police convoluted 
I don't understand. I'm having a migraine. And also, okay, we, we haven't mentioned where in his house she hid it. So she hid it in an ornament, specifically the ornament that he painted when he was a child for his mom, because she knew that it had sentimental value to him and he would never throw it out. So she put this tiny ass, this tiny hairpin into the fucking ornament somehow by osmosis, I guess, because he didn't notice that there was anything wrong with this ornament. But like, it's a fucking ornament. You're gonna know where in his house it is. Because it's Christmas time and it's on the tree. And also he has two trees in his living room for absolutely no reason. But it's gonna be on one of those trees. This was such a bad when there are some there are some movies with just incredibly convoluted plans. The Dark Knight Goddamn, Joker's plan was hard to unravel at the end. There were some sections where you were like, was that, like, was that necessary? <laughs> this movie beats out, like, all of that. It didn't make any sense. And also, like, it's not like she hid it in his wallet or something, in a secret compartment, or, like, in his jacket, sewed it into the fucking fabric. Like, it's not like he's taking this ornament everywhere with him and it's heavily guarded. Just snatch it from his tree, bro. Just, like, crawl down the chimney like Santa and snatch it from his tree. I cannot believe that she broke into a, a jewelry store to steal this in the first place but couldn't break into an empty house. <laughs> also, sorry. I mean, I just realized this right now. Um, she Her... And the fucking jacked nerd guy that she's working with have literally just broken into his house during the scene. So obviously they can break into his house. <laughs> Apparently there's some sort of time limits in place on, on when exactly one can break into this specific house. And that time limit is about an hour and 40 into this movie. I, I don't know what the... I mean, we have tried to unravel the strings of what this girl's plan was and we are no closer to figuring it out than we were when watching this movie cherry on top or should i say star on top of the tree the end of her plan is to kill the couple and add to her list of criminal accomplishments uh murder <laughs> i i i don't understand it's fine. She tries to kill the cop lady. She, like, whips out a gun. But just in time, Mama Cop also arrives at the house, even though there was no reason why she should have known anything was wrong. So her and also Max partner arrive on the scene and end up arresting the ex-wife and the Jack Nerdy dude just in time and, like, reinstates Mac onto the police force. Um, which is, you know, a choice. <laughs> Sorry, can I just cut in and add that right before the the captain comes in, the ex-wife is pointing her gun at Mac and Carson. And she says, which is, I mean, another part of her plan that I just cannot, I don't know what she meant by it. She says, the, the next part of my plan, whatever, is I'm going to kill the three of you. Now, two were obvious, Mac and 
Her ex-husband. Does she also mean the jacked, nerdy guy that she's working with and that doesn't seem to have a reaction to her saying that she might kill him? Or can he just, like, not count that high? Like, I... <laughs> it didn't make any sense! <laughs> he was like, it's my time. <laughs> we found the we found the reindeer. That was my life's purpose. Let her at <laughs> me. <laughs> so the end of this movie is uh, Mac... You know those uh, those scenes at the end of rom-coms where people dramatically run through a, an airport for no reason? She just, like, ran outside dramatically to the ambulance where Carson is, is waiting to take her away to the hospital because he got, like, a concussion or whatever. Um, and she finally gets that Christmas kiss with, uh, with Carson. And they can finally be together now that he has, I guess, been cleared of everything. I guess so. He is not a criminal anymore, I suppose. So that's the end of the movie. I mean, this is our, our toasting season. So let's just get the toasts out of the way, right? <laughs> because I'm sure there are very few in comparison to how many criticisms we have of this movie. So let's just try to come up with some toasts, okay? I think that the cop partner dude... He was a good character, probably the most normal of them all. And also his actor did a good job too. And I think he and Mac had like the most chemistry out of anyone in this movie because her and like the uh, alleged criminal dude didn't really have very much chemistry, but her and her partner did. I was kind of disappointed they didn't end up uh, together in the end. Yes. But, okay, here's a toast. I do actually like that they didn't end up together in the... I mean, Carson... Okay, we're gonna mix... We're gonna mix a toast with a roast here. Carson had no personality, right? We gotta get... We gotta get over that fact that we knew literally nothing about him besides the fact that his ex-wife was a criminal. Regardless, the partner, I agree. The actor did a good job. Uh, it was a good character, but I'm glad that him and Mac didn't get together. Just because I know that, like, they probably would have in any other movie. And I, 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 it's refreshing to see a platonic relationship that doesn't have to go anywhere. All right, that's true. I'll take that. Um, also, I, I did like her coffee shop barista friend. Because even if he was, like, a little over the top, he was good comedic relief. I think he was, like, the only character I thought was actually kind of funny because um for a rom-com not a lot of emphasis on the calm no i think that mac and her mom tried to do some comedic acting but it was so kind of over the top that it didn't work but i agree the barista like surprisingly very funny uh i actually laughed a lot at um his sort of remarks and especially when he finds out that carson is like allegedly a thief when he's like sort of trying to scramble his way through a conversation with him that was actually pretty funny <laughs> yeah so that's all the toasts that i have uh do you have any last toasts um i mean i think we better <laughs> i know this is our toasting season and we want to end it with some with some good notes but we got to get into the roasts girl I mean, uh, just a little Christmas treat for the both of us. And our toast, I guess, can be, 
we really wanted to like this movie. Like, we both love heist movies. Um, the description on Netflix made it sound very good. So a toast to whoever wrote that description. But, I mean, it didn't really turn out the way that we were expecting it to. First of all, there wasn't really an emphasis on the diamond heist at all. It happened in the past, and there wasn't one that was going to happen or happening during the course of the movie. So that was a little disappointing. But yeah, let's you yeah. know, let's just get into the roasts. Let's just dig in. Actually, that's a good place to start off for the roasts, to be honest. Is okay, I find that descriptions sometimes can be too well marketed, if that makes sense. I'll read books sometimes that are like, this is a mix between the Hunger Games and Harry Potter. I'm like, oh my god, that sounds like the best book ever and I read it and I'm like okay well like I guess I could see some of the Hunger Games aspects but like I don't know like sometimes when things are pitched a certain way they raise expectations a little too much um, and they place emphasis on some of the wrong things so with this description um, again reading it off Netflix a cop working undercover to trail a possible diamond thief gets caught in a tricky spot when she finds new clues new feelings for the suspect I thought and I think we both thought that this was going to be like a Christmas Oceans movie with a little bit more emphasis on the, the romance than there was in the Oceans movies. Um, but I thought it was going to be a heist movie because that's what it seemed to be pitched as. Whereas the heist that was more like just talked about as something that happened in the past rather than actually getting to see a Christmas heist, which was what I wanted from this. Yeah, there was a lot of emphasis on the detective work aspect, which I did not really want. Um, I, I would have loved if it was a heist movie where as he and his like crew or whatever were planning out and executing their heist, he also, as a matter of happenstance, meets her somewhere and she is actively, she is a good cop in this version, and she's actively trying to catch these criminals who are planning currently this heist uh, while he's planning the heist and doing it, but she doesn't know that he's the lead ringmaster of this heist, and, you know, things happen like that, but it was not like that at all. No, there were no sort of, like, typical shenanigans that you would expect from, like, a cop versus a criminal that are in love what a great pitch. But there were no, like, you would expect, like, oh, he's starting to plan something. And she happens to be at that place at the same time. They got to, like, make a, each make up a story about why they're there because he doesn't know she's a cop. She doesn't know he's a criminal. Like, there was none of that. And that's what I wanted from this. Yeah. Also, can I, <laughs> can I pitch a title for the version of this movie that we just made up right now that is a much better version? Absolutely. Give her to me. Christmas catch these hands. <laughs> oh, that is so much better. Christmas catch these hands. Because when they when they both figure out in our version of the story that the other has been like kind of lying and deceiving, but you know, in a less suspicious way to them the whole time. Christmas catch these hands, dude. Oh, you wanna go? Well, I'm going to arrest you. And he's like, well, I'm going to steal that fucking diamond. Christmas catch these hands. 
Also, I mean, we gotta roast this, and we already roasted it before, but just to reiterate, just to, you know, have a flashback, um, the plan did not make sense. A good heist is when the plan all comes together, and you have that, wait, that's what they were doing? We did not get that at all. I was like, wait, what are they doing? What is going on? Yeah, I don't know how many times we have to say this, but what was the point of this it's not a good sign when uh, y- you find out what the plan was the whole time and you're like, what was the point? Yeah, why did you waste my time? Also, ugh, it, it went so slowly. Everything happened in the last five minutes. I was like falling asleep and all of a sudden things were happening. I was like, wait a second. That's not what you set me up for in the first hour and a half of this movie. Yeah. Also, I gotta, I gotta talk about some character. I, okay, I have two character points about Mac that really, really pushed my buttons. Um, The first, I know that this is a trope that keeps happening in movies, but I hate it every time it comes up, is the I'm not like other girls phenomenon uh, that for some reason keeps making an appearance in, in media. I mean, this girl wasn't so over the top, but like, Oh my god, every scene that she is in her, like, cop attire, which, like, she's not even wearing a uniform. She's wearing, like, overalls and converse. I, I, I'm not a member of the police force, so I don't know if that is a, an acceptable uniform to be wearing to work, but, um, regardless, she's wearing very casual clothes throughout the- and every character, her friends, her partner- her mom, the FBI, is like, that's what you're wearing? You should be wearing something uh, girlier, like a dress. And she's like, I don't like dresses. I, I'm such a tomboy. I'm not like other girls. And she shows up in, like, one scene wearing heels. And we make a scene of her, like, not being able to walk in heels. And the love interest Carson even makes a, a quip at her the first time he meets her. He's like, those heels just, like... I can sense they just like don't seem to suit you and she's like oh, they don't suit which like it's fine if you don't like heels but like I don't know it's not like a bad thing to like dresses and heels yeah like everyone was on her case about you know the way she looked and the way she dressed but I think she looked fine I think she dressed fine and it set the movie set it up for there to be like this big old makeover scene, whatever. But, like, the thing about those scenes is that they look good before and after the scenes. Like, you don't need them. Like, they look fine. They just look more uncomfortable after because they're wearing heels and dresses that they're not comfortable in. It was it, it was like a, like a two-way street with that one. Is I didn't like how they kind of almost seemed to, like, put down girls who like wearing heels. I I don't know. I really like wearing heels. I think they look good. So I, I, the fact that the, the main character, Mac, was like, I'm just like not like other girls. I just, I don't like heels. They don't suit me. I'm such a, uh, that was like, okay, girl, get over you. But also like they, at the same time, seem to make, not make fun of, but you know, kind of like put down girls that like, 
dressed like she do, very casually and not very girly. And I'm like, what are you, like, you can't have it both ways. Yeah, like, they're pretty much <laughs> insulting whoever their audience is. I mean, like, the characters in this movie were not great. Mac as a character did not like her at all. The mom as a character, so judgy, also did not like her. Oh, the characters, other than the two I mentioned, the, the partner and the uh, coffee shop dude, I just did not. And then the main in love interest had no personality. Here's the thing. If your plot makes no sense, perhaps having a good cast of characters can make up for that. But if you have awful characters and no plot, why am I watching your movie? Oh, God, speaking of characters, there's one more thing I want to mention about Mac. They didn't really talk about it in the second half of the movie, but in the first half of the movie, there's, like, two or three scenes or whatever. Um, she's talking to her friends about uh, her mom wanting her to meet a dude or whatever, and they seem to, like, I don't know. This movie just, like, puts so much pressure on how you meet a guy which I thought was, like, so... They're like, oh, why don't you just, like, try online dating? She's like, no, like, I want the way I meet a guy to be, like, magical and natural and whatever. And I'm like, I don't like how movies now are, like, putting so much emphasis on, oh, the way that you meet your significant other has to be a story. It has to be this huge, big thing. Like, it's fine to just... If you meet someone naturally on the street, it's fine if you online date them. It's fine if it is a a big, crazy story. I just, they put so much pressure on having this. She, she wanted uh, the way that she met her significant other to be this massive, big thing. And she's like, no, I don't want to meet someone at this party because that's a lame origin story. And it's just like, that's also so hypocritical of her, because the way that she meets Carson is, like, so cringy and done before. Like, oh, he caught her, and they fell in love. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and and the thing about that is, it's so romanticized to meet people naturally, because that's what people have had to do for, you know, centuries, because they haven't had a choice. There was no, like, you know, Tinder or whatever in, in, in old grandpa's day and age. But then again, old grandpa could walk into the fish market and be like, I want a job here. And they're like, okay, you got a job here. Whereas I cannot do that. I cannot walk into Kinko's and be like, I would like to laminate paper for a living. They'd be like, where's your master's degree? I'd be like, okay, bye. Like, things have changed, my dude. You can't meet people the same way. You can't get jobs the same way. The world is not living in 1902, my friend. Well, maybe the, maybe the 1920 because the plague, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, dude, especially in plague times. It's like you're not going to go wandering the, the street. People are at home, man. That, I, girl, I have it. <laughs> I was in a, a high school trying to get a, a job one year and I, I wanted a job over the summer and I kept applying to stuff and I really had like no experience so I couldn't get a job and my grandma was like I have a, a friend that works at Lululemon you could just like pop over and ask for a job there and I'm like 
what do you mean pop over? And she's like, I'll just like take you to the mall and we can ask for a job. And I'm like, mm, I don't think that's how that works. But she's like, no, 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 trust me. So we go over to the mall on like a Saturday. Okay, first of all, there's like no one in this empty Lululemon's outfit. <laughs> Outfitters. We, we finally like wait around long enough that a sales associate comes out of the back room. It's like this bored 14 year old girl. And she's like, uh, do you need help finding something? And my grandma's, <laughs> I had like, she had me like print out my resume, um, which it was so sweet of her to try to uh, help me with this. But <laughs> the awkwardness, the internal clenching cringe that I felt the entire time trying to speak to this 14-year-old girl that had no clue what I was talking. My grandma's like, oh, like, I think I know one of the people that works in this store. And the girl's like, um, I don't, like, I, my shift's almost over. Like, I only work here on Sunday, like, for, like, two days a week. Like, I don't know who you're talking about. My grandma's like, oh, could you, like, leave her a note? And she's like, um, okay. So the girl... <laughs> The girl that my grandma knew happened to come by for her shift in like half an hour. We were at this store all day. The girl happened to come over and be like, oh, my God, Ashley's grandma. <laughs> like, how are you? Um, and my grandma's like, oh, good. this is my granddaughter. Uh, could she have a job here? And the girl's like, um, like, that's nice. But like, I don't know what to do. But I was like, oh. She was like, oh, Ashley, hand over your resume. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm like 14 or something at this time. And I hand her like this printed piece of paper. And the girl looks at me with the most confused. Exp- I can like picture her eyes to this day. Just like looking me over like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> I have never been so like, I wanted to be invisible because this girl was like, I cannot compute why you are here in front of me trying to beg me for a job. I am like a lowly sales. Like, go online. And you know what? I had to go back home and apply online. And I spent my whole Saturday at the mall waiting around for random people that I didn't know. uh, So my grandma could ask for a job just so they could look at me and be like, um... Like, you're supposed to apply online. Like, I've never wanted to disappear more. Oh, my God. That's, I mean, the world has changed. I would love to walk into a store and ask for a job by saying, hey, I would like a job. But it's just, have I ever told you the time I applied to, aren't we naughty? (laughs) What is that? Have I ever, have I ever told you that I was like, because I was in high school at the time, but I was, I took an extra year, so I was 18 in my last and extra year, and at the time, all of our friends were starting to get, like, summer jobs and, like, getting paid, and I, I, I didn't have any money, and I felt, like, insecure about not having a job, so I applied everywhere, so I applied to Aren't We Naughty, you know, the sex store. And I went in as an 18-year-old who looked like I was maybe 12 or something. And they were like, can I see your ID? And I was like, here you go. I am 18. They're like, okay, 
Like, what can we do for you here? And I was like, oh, I saw that you were hiring because of the note in your window, and I thought I would apply here. You know, an 18-year-old at a sex shop. Not to, you know, disparage anyone who's 18 and works at a sex shop, but I literally looked 12, and I didn't know anything about anything, and I still don't. Anyways, so <laughs> I go in this store, and I'm like, hey, I would like a job. And they're like, okay, um, I guess we can't say no, huh? So they give me <laughs> this form to fill out. I'm like, okay, peace, I'll fill it out at home. They're like, no, it's kind of policy. I don't know why it would be. It's policy you fill it out here. So here I was in the middle of my afternoon in a sex shop filling out this application to work in the sex shop where I've never been before. <laughs> so I'm just looking around and all these pervy guys are coming in and they're asking sex questions and I'm like, okay, I guess I better get used to this. So I'm just uh, filling out, <laughs> I'm just filling out my application for the sex shop where I thought I was going to work for the good five minutes there. And one of the questions was like, where's your previous experience? And I'm like, first of all, I have none. That's why I'm working at this skeevy ass sex shop. I mean, you know, applying to work there. So, so then the, I'm like, I guess I'll just leave that blank. I volunteered as a summer camp counselor. How's that? <laughs> Nothing to do with anything. It was the only experience I had. And then the next thing was, hey, give us three references. You know, three people who would, if we asked, recommend you to work at our sex shop. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. So I put down two, and this is when I first got my phone. So I didn't have a lot of contacts in my phone. And also, like, who am I going to put down as a reference when I want to work at this sex shop? So I put down two of my best friends. And then later I texted them like, hey, if a sex shop calls you, it's because I applied there. And I need you to act as my old boss or something. Don't know where because the only place I've ever worked was at a summer camp. But we'll figure out the details later. Anyways, I need you to tell them I'd be a good match for the sex shop position <laughs> where I applied. <laughs> And then they were like, okay, turns out they never got calls. And so the last thing I was like, I asked the, the lady, there were two girls there and they were about like college aged. And they were talking about an episode of like 1001 Ways to Die, something about rats. <laughs> so I asked one of them, hey, is it okay if I only fill out two out of the three references? And they're like, no, well, it, it'll lessen your chances, you know, as if the sight of me looking like I'm 12 years old didn't already. So, so I, I'm like, who can I, who, who can I possibly ask to be a reference when I want to work at this sex shop? And I don't think my parents knew, so, and I'm close with them, but I wouldn't ask. So... I wouldn't ask them to be like my old boss or something. So I'm like, hmm, who can I ask to, to be a reference for this sex shop position? Oh, I know, my high school teacher. Oh, I know, Amy, what a great idea. How about your high school teacher whose email what? you happen to have on hand? God, I cannot believe I have never heard this story. We have been friends for how many years and you still surprise me? <laughs> People ask me, hey, when you've been friends for so much, how do you keep your relationship friend? Um, <laughs> like apply to a sex shop, I guess. <laughs>
<laughs> and then, and then, oh, sorry, you thought that was the most embarrassing part of that experience? No, I finished up my my application, which they probably threw into the garbage right away, even though I spent 25 minutes standing in the sex shop writing it down. So anyways, the next day, you know the day I had to go up to my teacher and say, hey, you might, on your school extension line, hey, you might get a call. From this SAG store, aren't we naughty, which I have applied to yesterday. And they might be asking you about me. And if they do, I would like to say, first of all, that I'm sorry. And second of all, would you please recommend me? Because I have no money. And all I can get is perhaps this sex shop position. What? Which I didn't get. What did she say? She was like, you know what? You gotta do what you gotta do. She was very supportive. Oh my god. I wanted to die so badly. Wow. Jesus Christ. I don't think I could ever be so brave. You know what? I have to applaud. Everyone who's ever or has applied to a sex shop in their life because it was the most, I mean, bizarre experience and also... It was, for me, embarrassing. But if you work at one, you're the one getting paid. So I gotta applaud you. You're, you made it through. You made it through. And you won. Like, you won. I lost big time. But you, you know what? That is like... You know when, like, in ancient times... Well, um... I don't... They're like, oh, to, to become a knight or whatever, you gotta, like, perform an act of of true bravery. You gotta prove yourself. I think this would count as one of those acts. This is the most outgoing, I think, <laughs> I've ever heard you be. I can assure you I was not outgoing when it was happening. I was like, dildo? Yeah, I'll sell some dildo. <laughs> you want the pussy banger 5,000? Yeah, I'd love to sell that. <laughs> wow, that is probably the best story I have ever heard. That's a little late Christmas present to you, and a, just a late holiday present, just an end-of-the-year present to all of our listeners. That time I applied for a sex shop position! Um, <laughs> it really, oh, it truly is the gift of Christmas. <laughs> Dude, I thought my story was embarrassing. You have just come in swept her under the rug wow taking the last piece of cake <laughs> <laughs> sorry to overshadow your moment also to get back to your story like i have no idea how there are like 14 and 15 year olds who have no experience out there getting jobs i almost have a degree still no job teach me your ways how do you like how how to get job how to get minimum wage, please? $15 an hour, please, to buy my burritos for lunch? Please get me some money. Please. Yahoo Answers. How to job, please? <laughs> how to apply job, please? Wow, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, how hard it is in the, in the modern era. Uh -huh. um, it is hard. 
Also, just circle back to the movie that we're supposed to be talking about. They put so much emphasis not only on how Mac should, in air quotes, be getting a boyfriend, but also just, like, the fact that she needs to get a boyfriend at all. Like, maybe she should focus on her job, you know? Yeah, dude, considering how not great a cop she is, maybe she should get in a little bit of practice uh, before she has something else going on in her life. (laughs) I do have just one more thing (laughs) before we can move on and, and get into our reviews and stuff. So I was looking on the IMDb page, right? And just the funniest, the funniest thing that I found was the whole goof section of IMDb. And under it, just, you know, points that are roasting this movie, like we've done. Under the the subcategory character error, it says, the main criminal in this story makes a jump from jewel thief to would-be cold-blooded killer. Now, they're right. Um, That is a pretty big jump, and I do think it is a character error. In plot holes, they have... A prized, delicate ornament hides a hidden object, the fucking reindeer, yet its owner doesn't register a difference in its weight. The plot hinges on the object being hidden quickly, but the matter would take some time to pull off without leaving telltale telltale signs. Also a very good point. How did she get into that ornament? We will never know. And then the next point they have under Goofs, it is never explained why Carson moves to Mac's town or what he does for a living when he says he has to go back to work, or how he has a group of loyal friends who are never seen and presumably in town who advise him well. Carson's a newbie in town, yet he has connections. <laughs> and then the final point under the goofs section is it's never questioned how Carson's ex wife, Bethany, who left the country, can suddenly call up Carson to inform him with knowledge that Mac's a cop. It's also not questioned how David the safecracker, aka the nerdy jacked dude, um, can just happen by and recognize Carson in the town's dark coffee shop. Yeah, he was way at the back of that coffee shop, as we mentioned, and still saw him through the window. Interesting. These are all... Very good point. I think maybe, I mean, talking about jobs, maybe we should get a job uh, <laughs> talking about the, filling out plot holes on the IMDb website, because we have uh, pointed out quite a few of those. Yeah, do they pay IMDb? Who pays IMDb to, first of all, put on all of the plot holes into the goof section? And also, I would love to write up some of those crazy clickbait articles they have on the side. Just, you know, Oprah, is she dead yet? Who knows? You know, stuff like that. (laughs) You open the article and the only thing it says is, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then all of these, where are they now articles? Where is Macaulay Culkin? And then you open the article, it says, probably at his house. (laughs) Something stupid like that. Thanks for clicking. (laughs) This movie was a ride. We've talked extensively on our thoughts about the movie. I think it's time to see what the rest of the internet thought about it. 
So we have some letterbox reviews. We have some IMDb reviews. What should we start with? Let's start with IMDb. So we have three IMDb reviews. The first of which is by user Fruitcook, who gave it a 1 out of 10, and their tagline is Boxing Day Discard. While set at Christmas and smothered in Christmas decorations, this is really not a Christmas movie. It's a rom-com that's very light on the comedy. It's clearly not meant to be taken seriously. The goofy head cop is beyond belief. It sinks or swims on the budding relationship between the two romantic leads, and the essential chemistry is completely absent. (laughs) The romance is flat, the two actors are wooden, and not in a good way. I'm afraid this is much more something you'd throw back than it is a celebration-worthy catch of the day. I don't know how actors can be wooden in a good way, but I mean, (laughs) I agree. The second is by user Raranhiaraquest. Who guy? Hope I'm saying that right. Who gave it a one out of ten? And their tagline is "Can't believe I watched it." Poor storyline, bad acting. Nothing was believable. Thought maybe it was supposed to be funny, but didn't crack a smile the entire time. Expected more from the main character, but being so badly written, couldn't shine no matter how hard they tried. But hey, it was a paycheck. Like for them, did they get paid to write that review? <laughs> I think, unfortunately, they got to do it for free, just like us. Oh, just like the rest of us. Still trying to get those jobs. The third of which is by user S.F. Mowed? Smowed? Smowed? They also gave it a 1 out of 10. Their tagline is, is Bethany magical? Bethany is the ex-wife, by the way. How the hell did Bethany hide the reindeer inside? The ornament? And how has no one else mentioned this amazing feat of magic? (laughs) Very true. This ornament was completely unbroken, like you said before. Dude did not mention the difference in weight that a completely crystal diamond sculpture inside of it must have added. It was not broken, it was not cut. (laughs) Yeah, and he also, like, didn't hear it rattling around inside, I guess. So we have a few letterbox reviews. Um, the first one is by Ellie, who gave it one out of five stars. Ellie says, The pacing of this plot is actually demented. It's like a roller coaster that goes on 10 miles per hour straight ahead for an hour. And then in the last five minutes, there are three consecutive loops and a thousand foot drop. Oof. Uh, I mean, not wrong. <laughs> yeah, very true. The second review is by... Viva Lorena, who gave it half a star. The easiest way for the ex-wife to get the diamond reindeer was to pose as an FBI agent and make a random cop date her ex-husband. She couldn't just break into the house and get it? Fuck this movie. (laughs) (laughs) The third review is by Matt Byrne, who didn't give it a rating. Everyone in this is too dumb for it to be copaganda. (laughs) And the last review we have for today is by EJH, who gave it five stars out of five. And they say, do you love 
32-year-old virgin cops that are straight up horny for Christmas trees? Do you love Christmas-themed pickup lines? Do you love movies written by foot fetishists? Do you love men whose face is an actual nightmare? Do you love going down to the local Italian restaurant that has a special Christmas-themed menu, but only go for Christmas wine and cheesy breadsticks? Do you love montages of picking out date outfits that prove you have the IQ of a wet sock? Do you love getting grilled about your ex-wife and personal criminal record on a first date with a woman that might have recently suffered a major brain injury? Do you love taking your calendar off the wall and reading it like a magazine? Do you love wax of diamonds and taking self-defense classes in preparation for Space Academy? Do you want your police precinct almost entirely staffed by millennials? Do you love phone calls from your ex-wife where she just says, Happy Holidays, your girlfriend's a cop. Do you love diamond-encrusted reindeers valued at $3.5 million, but definitely bought on QVC for three easy pays of $13.99? Do you love when FBI agents are actually the criminals you've been looking for? Then you will love the Christmas catch. <laughs> that was the best sell I have ever heard. I wish user EJH on Letterboxd wrote this movie instead of whoever wrote this movie. Apparently, a foot fetishist. <laughs> I, uh... Were there a lot of lingering shots of feet in this movie? Because I, I did not pick up on that, but, uh... I'm not sure. Quentin? Is that you, Mr. Tarantino? Oh, no! <laughs> so, we now know what the internet thought of this movie. Now it's time to get into our reviews if you're new to the podcast, we rate everything we watch on what we call the gold bloom scale, which is a scale of bad movies. One being the worst, ten being the best. Amy, out of a possible ten gold blooms, what would you give this movie? So just for reference, IMDb gave this movie a 5.4 out of 10, and Rotten Tomatoes did not have a critic score, obviously, but it gave it a 31% by the audience. I mean, we, we covered <laughs> a lot of our bases already. Characters were not very good. The, the story did not make any sense. I mean, this is the, the last, uh, episode of our Toasty season. And we really wanted to like it, but it just, it didn't really come through. The, there wasn't a lot of romance. There wasn't a lot of comedy. There wasn't a lot of heisting like we were expecting. I don't know. I'm going to give it maybe like a, a 2.5. I did not like it. And I love Christmas movies. I love like Hallmark movies. So, I mean, this is pretty big that I, that I did not like it that much. Yeah, girl, same. I love Christmas movies. I love rom-coms. But uh, this movie just had so many promises. It promised romance. It promised comedy. It promised heists. And we were given a grand total of none out of three. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked so much about the things that we didn't like about this. The character, I, I just, the romance for a movie about the romance between these two characters, they had no chemistry. I think I'm going to give it like a three, a solid three out of uh, ten. That's fair. And you know what? We have been criticizing a lot, not only last season, not only in this episode, but throughout, 
throughout our podcast, even though it has been the toasting season, we have been, you know, sharing a lot of criticisms. We hope that they're more uh, constructive than uh, angry. But I do, can I just share this quote with you that I think we, we, we and the listeners gotta keep in mind, right? Going forward into what we're gonna call season three, which is gonna be our, our third year doing this podcast, I have a quote from the hit film Ratatouille. And <laughs> I think, I think it, it very much applies to what we're doing here. You know what? If it's from the sweet, sweet, supple lips of my boy Remy the Rat, I am absolutely down for anything you have to say. Okay, well, this might be a disappointment then, because it's from the the thin, vampirish lips of <laughs> the critic guy in the movie. But he says, In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read. But the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. But there are times when a critic truly risks something, and that is in the discovery and defense of the new. The world is often unkind to new talent, new creations. The new needs friends. And then he goes on to review, you know, the Ratatouille restaurant. But I think that's a good thing to keep in mind, that... Even though we're kind of dunking on all these movies, especially this movie right here, we do have a much easier job of doing that than they had making it. And I mean, a toast to them for even creating something, because that takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage. And they did it. It might not have been what we wanted, but they did it. That was the sweetest most profound quote I think I have ever heard. And you know what? I'm not surprised at all that it came out of the classic, classic movie Ratatouille that I think will stand the test of time for years to come. Wow, that was so sweet. And you know what? You're so right. That, To be fair, the pitch of this movie was a great idea. And maybe it didn't super work out as a execution, but making a movie is a tough thing. Amy, you know, you are in media production uh, as a career. <laughs> it is a tough thing to do, and props for them for, for going for it. Yeah, and props to all of the creators of all of the movies that we've ever dunked on or praised or anything in between on this podcast, because there are a lot, and they, I mean... You gotta put, when you're making a movie, you gotta put at least a little bit of your heart into it. And it's difficult to do that. But again, I, I think we say this not often enough, but we don't want to like shame these creators or, or, or be hateful to them. We're doing this because we love movies and, you know, we, I don't know, it's, it's a way for us to spend time together watching the movie but also talking about the movie it's a way for us to connect to everyone who's listening i mean these movies have done for us a lot of a lot of good even though if even if they've you know maybe 
not been the best hour and a half of our lives, they've also done a lot of good for us. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's the whole reason why we started this podcast. We love, we're both very adamant movie fanatics. We love bad movies, especially. They are really fun to make fun of, I have to say. <laughs> Even if actually watching the movie wasn't the best time, making fun of them is a uh, is a good time. Um, and speaking of, you know, making fun of these movies, we said at the beginning that we had an announcement, just a quick little announcement for season three, which is our third year going into doing this podcast. Massive, massive thank you to anyone who is listening to this episode or has listened to like any episode. Of this podcast um you know we had our uh our roasting season we had our toasting season which you know we wanted to end on a bit of a toastier note but that's fine next season uh if you know our tagline from how we start every episode we are going to have just a lot of fun Next season is going to be our lot of fun season. So we're just going to pick movies that we have enjoyed in the past, movies that we think are going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we can we can still roast them, we can still toast them, but we're not going to focus on either side. We're just going to focus on making a good podcast and making jokes and having fun. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're all, we picked out a lot of good movies and we're really excited for you guys to listen to them. And, I mean, if you want to get some friends over and listen to our podcast and dunk on it, I mean, feel free. Who are we to judge what you do? <laughs> so, next season, we're going to start fresh, a fresh slate, a new theme. Because I think 2020 was kind of, I mean, I, it's not, I don't think, I know, 2020 has been hard on everyone. But 2021, I don't want to say too much about it. I don't want to jinx anything. But in terms of our podcast, I do think we're going to have a lot of fun. I think we got to release some fun energy into the air. I think we got to put out some some really, I don't know, you know, this is just going to be a good time. We need a good time. And uh, we've got an exciting lineup of movies that we have. I mean, we've only sort of picked out a few that we are interested in doing next year. Uh, we just want to have fun with it. But we think you'll have a lot of fun, too. <laughs> It's a good mix. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. Yeah, and again, thank you to everyone who's listened, who's, you know, shared it with your friends. And if you haven't, we would love it if you did. Um, so we can, you know, make some make some more of these uh, episodes and watch some more good or bad movies and just enjoy ourselves because that's what we're here for. But in the meantime, if uh, you have thoughts on Christmas Catch, if you have any other bad movies or fun movies uh, to recommend to us for next season, you can always hit us up on Twitter or Letterboxd. We're at BMS Podcast. And we also have a Gmail, which is uh, badmoviesundaypodcast at gmail.com. So, yeah, I guess we will see you guys or you, you will hear us. The same mistake we make in every episode. I mean, we got to end <laughs> it off like that, too. <laughs> You'll hear us next next week, which is also next year and next season. I'm Ashley. I'm Amy. Happy New Year.